I four-owed with miracles. Zach got a job. Next on Eternal Dirtles. Before we get started, I want to give a quick thanks and appreciation out there to all the Dirtle Maniacs that support us on Patreon. Without these people, the podcast could not afford the production upgrades and time we devote to it. If you appreciate the content we create, please consider supporting us at patreon.com slash eternal dirtles. Now on to the show. Hello and welcome to Eternal Dirtles. I'm your host, Zach Clark, and with me as always, Phil Blackman. Phil, did you want to say the, th- that part? Because you got the bigger news, actually. You 4 owed. Yeah, I, f- I 4 owed a local <laughs> with uh, Beanstalk Miracles. Like, in, in a way that's not four-color Uro Grindpile Miracles. Actual, yeah. Uh, actual yeah, it looked miracles. like a Miracles list. I checked it out. It's, that's a yeah. Miracles list with, with, uh, with Beans. Yeah, it, it is one of those things, like, I, I tried really, really hard to stay away from stuff that like had crossed over with four color because I didn't want to uh, become a worse version of that. Uh, but what I ended up doing over time. And the thing is, is I, I iterate in paper. I don't really like to iterate online. Uh, I find that like playing online, I, I just find like every time I try and play online uh, for an extended period of time to test, that's not for a major tournament, like testing now for EW makes sense, right? You yeah. want to get in some reps, but like when it comes to something like when I, I find when playing a deck like miracles where the top of the libraries and, and, that those zones really matter. Dexterity really matters. Yeah. And so if you're not practicing the dexterity, you sort of are still losing some points because you might, yeah. you know, I've done it even to this day, a decade in where you like fail to reveal your miracle terminus, which, you know, uh, Moto does for you. Yeah. But if you don't practice doing it yourself, then you just get clipped. I think that's an important aspect of, of transferring from digital to paper is, is, you know, missing those triggers, uh, remembering the top cards of your library, stuff like that stuff that you can, you know, you can, uh, easily do on, uh, in a digital format that you lose something when you move, if you only do that, you lose something when you move into paper. Uh, yeah. you know, that's, I, I find one thing that I'll be doing with testing is, uh, you know, uh, this week uh, I'm going to meet up uh, with a, a friend of mine named Jared who we're going to, like, we literally using metadeck.me, which I know we plugged on the cast before, yeah. which, you know, we're just going to build the gauntlet of the metagame we expect, and we're going to jam them in paper with the decks that we want to play. We're just going to run our decks through the gauntlet. And, you know, I, that, that may not be necessarily as efficient as uh, Moto because you're, you know, you can't, you know, play at, you know, midnight or 1 a.m. or whatever when you, you, you're up. But you do get the advantage of dexterity purposes, like understanding how long everything takes in terms of like uh, fetching and clock management. Like that yeah. stuff really matters, particularly if you're playing a, a long game control deck. Uh, so I, I find that those are, are more, uh, maybe not at fr- like at first glance, but those are actually really positive testing experiences where you can actually use the cards in your hand to make sure that you're playing fast enough, make sure that your dexterity is on point, and make sure that you can do all of that while also playing tight. So. Uh, but that is to say, yes, I played Beans uh, in uh, a, a Miracle Shell. It was essentially Bant Miracles. I splashed, uh, I had a light splash, which I'm still up in the air about, but Prismatic Ending uh, really incentivizes you to be able to go up to four yeah. because the, the One Ring exists and uh, other, you know, Haymakers exist. Like Karn is still in the format, right? Uh, sometimes if you're playing against Mono Black Helm, you want to be able to shut off the the ley line of the void so they can't just combo you with a beseech like there's incidental things for going up to four is really important and so i think that like having your uh you know g- going up to your fourth color uh after you've ensured that you have enough color requisites for, to provide everything else in your deck that you know prismatic ending incentivizes that and then beanstalk just you know makes your x spells 
hard mode uh, for your opponent because you yeah. can just max it out and draw a bunch of cards. Yeah. Uh, which which comes up a bunch when you're just trading, you know. Uh, Phil, I have a question, and I don't want to put him on the spot, but um, did you happen to uh, be on 90s MTG last night? Yeah, all four of my matches are going to be on 90s Dude, when we they can come say out. it. We can say it, Phil. Roll that beautiful bean footage. <laughs> yeah. It's, it, it, it is one of those things, like, it's the first time that I've, uh, I've done well at a at a local event in a long time, trying out a bunch of different technology. And ultimately what I found was that the 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 power creep and the snowballing of new cards is such that the other stuff can't keep up. Like yeah. I was, I, I was a predict gamer for a really long time and all of the, like it, the, the cards that are only cards that generate raw cards, but don't do anything else have been really pushed out by the stuff that draws cards plus does other things, whether that's yeah. attack and block, whether that's provides you some kind of, you know, combo incentive, uh, whether it's, you know, that plus an additional tutor or threat of some kind, uh, and the difference well, between so the difference between something like predict and beanstalk or ring or whatever is that those cards are engines where predict yeah. is not. Well, that's you know? the thing is like let's just look at it from from a, a worst case scenario, right? On both ends, beanstalk and predict are almost the same card in a worst case scenario, right? In a best case scenario, you're drawing three, four, five times as many cards with beanstalk. Well, it's. Yes, 100%. It's a combination of like, yes, the Beanstalk is just like way more powerful than any raw card advantage spell. But the other side of it, though, is that because it's not a one-off... And it's exponential, it, yeah. It, 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 well, it compels... It, 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 it becomes <laughs> the battleground on which your opponent has to play, yeah. right? Like, they, if they choose to ignore the Beanstalk, they'll lose to it. Yeah. You know, it's, it, it's like if they're not going over the top of it, or they're not meeting it at parity with their own engine, or using all of their resources to try and turn it off then it just buries them. So it's not only something that generates all of the raw cards, and that's what I mean by it does something plus something else. It, it's like the second that it, it enters the battlefield and replaces itself, meaning it's the, the opportunity cost of it is nothing because it replaces itself. It's just yeah. like really, really placid design in my, in, in my mind, even though like, you know, I, I just did really well with it and I'm probably going to play it at EU, right? It's just like, it, 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 I, I was talking about how like a long time ago, the only real card that felt this way was Baleful Strix in that when you cast it, if your opponent did anything to interact with it, you were like, this is great. And then if they didn't do anything to interact with it, you were like, this is great. I love drawing cards. I love taking cards out of my opponent's hand for no reason. Yeah, the opportunity yeah. cost of it was so low because it cantrips that all, the, the initial investment was all you needed to do. And then the rest of it was whatever, right? Yeah. It's like any amount of interaction with this piece that I have on the table now that has given me the, the card back doesn't matter. And so, like, every other version of Beanstalk has been, like, you know, the three mana, if you control a creature with four or greater, or whenever a creature ETBs that has a power, whatever, you draw a card, or, like, maybe it ETBs, and if you have a condition met, you replace itself. But those are all at, like, three mana plus. It's the first time they've ever done it at two mana, and the first time at two mana where it replaces itself as a default. Yeah. No condition needs to be met, no prerequisite. You just slam it on two, and then it dictates the play for the rest of the game. It's really, really boring, but it's also really, really powerful. And so, like, I found the, the, the games where it just becomes those arm race games, those are real, in, in, it, from, from playing them, they're probably fun to watch because stuff happens. But when you play them, they're actually really boring. It just becomes about those engines back and forth. But there is something to be said about positioning against those decks. So in the four-color mirrors, right, it's the arms race. I need more beanstalks. I need more run rings. I just need more stuff. 
right? We got to keep up with each other because we're just going to be free rolling back and forth free spells. And so it, the games either become about who has more of the engine pieces or who has more force of wills. And that's it. Those are the, those, those are the, the, the metrics that the game rests upon. Maybe you get at, at some point in deep in the game, if somebody has an engine, you can, you know, j- jam through a fourth for lethal if that are at a relatively low life total. But like, that's a negligible portion of games. So you either are in that arms race and you're trying to figure that out. And then you're going to concede some amount of like uh, equity to fast combo. And you're trying to thread the needle of how much do you want to be able to beat Urza Saga and fast combo versus how much do you want to be able to keep up with the arms race and the four color control mirrors. So that's where the, the, the avenue splits. The, what I decided to do was because I hate Uro and I hate tap out, you know, expensive cards. So I hated playing four color when I tried it. Uh, so I took the cheap part and the good part of those four color decks, which is Beanstalk. And then I just took the, all of the technology that I've been working on for however long in Miracles, which is just a bunch of Mystic Sanctuaries and Thwarts. And turns out that when you Mystic Sanctuary your Force Will back to the top, after it's already replaced itself, and then it just continues to replace itself. Now you have this like ongoing engine that can never happen. Yeah. And everybody was always like, well, you have to play Yorion 80 card because the threat of decking yourself in those types of games with Beanstalk, because it's not a May, is really... Uh, can happen is a likelihood, right? Like yeah. you, you can, you can deck. And for the longest time, I've always been like, man, if I could just remove all of my win conditions, because my inherent win condition <laughs> is that I can't deck because I have thwart mystic sanctuary, then that's great. So I inherently solve that problem that never really comes up anyway, because the games are so fast, but the, I, I'm, I've just taken the, the mystic sanctuary technology that I've been working on ever since it first came out and just applying it to these new snowball engines. And yeah, here you go. New miracles. Yeah, I think something that's that's uh worth worth like kind of putting into perspective with this particular situation, Phil, is this means something. You're on this deck constantly. You know, you have played this deck inside and out like a thousand different ways, right? And you know, we're in the group text together with with Nate, and you know, uh, it it's. It gets disheartening for me when like you chime in on like, you know, like at nine o'clock on a, on a Monday after the thing. And you're like, I'm, I'm and three, fuck this format, you know, like, uh, so, so seeing, seeing a situation where you took, you basically took the lessons you learned over the past few months and were, and was like, all right, I'll buy in and see what happens. And you took this deck and you, you know, you've, you've been working with it forever and you put, you pull a four O out. And it's not like it's it's like a, oh well like I got there with this four zero like you you have been engineering this the entire time to get to this point and that to me like you know we we have the deck list we'll give a quick shout out to Moxfield we'll do the ad real fast Eternal Dirtles is proud to be sponsored by Moxfield Moxfield is the best Magic the Gathering deck building website on the internet you can create share and find decks from Commander to Legacy and even fan supported formats like. Pre-modern and old school. You can see all of our decks on our Moxfield. Follow the links below to stay tuned. And now that we're back from the ad, you know, you've you've created the you you've been working on this list. You're literally the only person working in miracles that I that I know of at, at this time. And you pull a 4-0 like that. If you pour a pull a 4-0 at EU, you can expect to to win the next three or four rounds, too, I think. Yeah, I, I think that like it, it's really interesting because I find that like I, I've been really down on the format because the of the new cards and because of those the the snowballing effects that like it the games aren't all that like at least in those types of mirror matches where it becomes the snowball arms race uh, 
those games were never in, like they've never been interesting. I've never found them compelling because they always it, it really just becomes down to what I had mentioned before. It's it's the engines versus forcibles, and like there's some amount of play versus the other uh, matchups. But what I'm noticing is even though it's like it obviously it feels good to like win some games for the first time yeah. in however many years, right? <laughs> like it's it's not it's definitely not a bad feeling to win, but it it, it doesn't mean that I think that it's necessarily in a healthy place. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I mean, they're, they're, you they're, can, they're, you can they're, have fun in the format and not think that the format is going in the correct direction, you know, like, you know, you can yeah, win like, and also think that too, for sure. I mean, yeah. It's like, I, I, if, if somebody were to be like, Phil, do you think the format is healthy? I would say no. And I, I say that because I think that like, it revolves around. Well, that's, like, that's really more of a state un- of the game health than it is it, a totally, format, right? Totally. I, I think it's it, like the stuff that the format, like the matchups, the, the, the games, the game pieces that the matchups revolve around as the pillars of the format and legacy right now, I think personally are not healthy and uh, are uh, mostly uninteresting. But I, I think that like the, if we, if we just, okay, we default to, yes, the pillars of the format are, you know, Beanstalk, Urza Saga and Dark Ritual. Uh, like, okay, like let's get over that hurdle because that's the world we live in. Cool. Yeah. Then from that point, you know, how do we actually find the positioning within that? And what I found was that the four color decks, I feel like are clunky messes. And the the reason for that is I can't tell you what the deck is trying to do other than slam cards and hope that they're good. So yeah, it's it's tap out. It's classic like tap out control, which we, you know, it's been around since like 2005, right? But, but it's tap out control in such a way where I go, what are you? what is the deck trying to do in the blind other than hope that its cards line up properly yeah. if you were to open your top 12 against your opponent's top 12, right? So, like, I well, can't Well, explain to me how that's, how that's different than Miracles, because I think that, uh, I mean, if you, were to, Bean, if you were to say that in the blind, I would say, I'd say you're just explaining Miracles. Beanstalk is the legacy power level thing to do, therefore I want Terminus, therefore I want Mystic Sanctuary. Okay. And that's it. You have your structure, right? Yeah. So, oh, I, I, I'm, I was playing 12 cantrips. I was playing... Uh, Brainstorm Ponder and all the full set, of, the full suite of Portent, and Portent is obviously good to, to turn on your miracles. Like that's been the case ever since Top got banned. But the other part of it is like you just want more. You you want to be able to find your beans more routinely on turn two. Like you want to slam your beans yeah. on turn two, and then from that point, it's just exchange with your opponent because beans will bury them. So like, that's the whole game plan. Are we talking about aggressively mulliganing to beans? Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I think that if you have a reasonable hand with a cantrip, uh, you can open turn one. If, if, if like, let's say you can get through your development, your, your lands in your development, and you know, you have like maybe a removal spell or a force or something that you're, you're, you're relatively safe in the blind to think, okay, I'm not going to die. Your plan can still go, okay, turn one, I'm going to cantrip. I either find the beanstalk or I find another cantrip to be able to go like, okay, prismatic ending or swords on turn two plus cantrip to try and find the beans to then keep going. Yeah. And, but like, the, the ideally you want to be able to set up your uh you want to get beanstalk as fast as possible yeah to the point where i was like 
I remember, uh, you know, when we talk about pre-modern and uh, there's been, at least in, in my conversations of pre-modern, ever since uh, Lantax got banned, Argothian Enchantress is still a really powerful draw engine in that format. And there's this uh, always been this back and forth, of like, do you play Worldly Tutor at the end of your opponent's turn so you can get your Argothian Enchantress and then slam it on turn two? And there's the argument, it's like, okay, well, if you have eight Argothian Enchantresses in your deck, and that's your engine, and you expect to convert, you know, three plus cards off that engine, then is mulliganing for it via the Worldly Tutor an effective trade-off to ensure that you have the consistency of hitting it on turn two every time? Yeah. Because if you have eight copies in your deck, you're, the, the math is like 80 some odd percent to open it, right? Yeah. So the, the, the argument of being like, is this engine powerful enough that I would in, you know, would you lose cards for, for it? Yeah. I think, yeah. I think that's so, the important thing is, is we know we're drawing the cards, right? So if we're, we know we're drawing the cards and we can reliably slam it on turn two, it's worth one or two cards to make sure we get that card, right? I'm thinking to myself, if like in, in, in the world that I was built, I went very basic in my build. I didn't try and do anything fancy because I was just like, I'm going to see how Beanstalk goes in, you know, my classic shell with what I have, which I know is good, and then see where that plays. And, you know, it was obviously like super busted and overpowered and stupid. And I think that if you could play six to eight beanstalks in your beanstalk focused deck, you would, Yeah. you know? Uh, and I think that like the, the Yorion builds are playing the one ring right now. They're playing, I think of like three copies, probably maybe they're over the four at some point, but I've seen three copies pretty consistently. And in my mind, if those three rings could just be beanstalks five through seven, they 100% would be. So in, in the, the but the, like, if you were to look at my Moxfield deck list, there are certain things that I made that I, I was like conscious about, like, Here's how these matchups line up and why I think that the four color Yorion decks aren't like they're on leyline binding and all of this stuff because they want to make beans more powerful, but they're not doing anything to, to reliably get themselves the beans on turn two or turn three, you know, because they're in 80 cards, they're on eight cantrips, you know, beyond the beanstalks was cantrip, but like you, if that could, if you found it great, but like in order to find it, you're on 80 cards and eight cantrips, like that's not going to get you there in a, yeah. in a consistent way. So like, that's what I mean by, you know, if if you're not, and so they're playing one rings to to compensate, but I feel like you know it, it's just folding into this arms race without actually having a focused direction for what your deck wants to do. And then there's exploitable weaknesses that are pretty obvious within that within the shell. So four color, they're playing leyline binding, and you know the difference between leyline binding and uh, prismatic ending. Several mana. <laughs> well, the, the advantages of leyline binding is that it's one mana an for speed any spell. permanent yeah. at instant speed for yeah, yeah. any non-land permanent at instant speed. But the difference is it leaves an enchantment on the table that can get blown up. Yeah, yeah. And if you remove anything that has any amount of value, you just get fucked, dude. Yeah. Like the the in, in, I, I was playing a, a really uh, greedy mana base because I wanted to. I, I was already in Bant and I didn't want to play any planes because uh, I'm a Mystic Sanctuary deck. And every time you've ever played a planes with your Mystic Sanctuary, you just turn yourself off a whole turn cycle and yeah. sustain it. You just don't want to be there. The, the format's way too fast for, to, to, yeah. to miss, essentially. Like, imagine when the idea of your opponent, it's like, yeah, you play the planes so they can't waste and, you. And your you, land comes into play tapped as well. Like, come on. <laughs> if, you, if you play a, like a Triome or something, but if you yeah. play a basic planes, then it's like, okay, uh, the, that is effectively like I have wastelanded myself yeah. in, ter- in, in regards to Mystic Sanctuary. Because if they cut you off getting to your fourth land drop for your Mystic Sanctuary through a wasteland, it's the same thing if you were to play a basic planes. That Mystic Sanctuary is still off the table until a full turn cycle later. So it's like, yeah. yes, your development through, for your you know, removal spells was maybe safe, but like 
I think the format is too fast and you know there, there are too many snowball effects that let you recoup that card that that land drop that you unless you're being locked out in some way of like some strip lock then you know it, it, the the trade-off is too steep to play a basic planes so i didn't play any basic planes and i was on mono islands all the way across the board and uh the, the what i played in the sideboard was a pair of force of vigors to deal with blood moon effects right yeah i'm just like okay I already have a bunch of green cards in my deck now because Beanstalk incentivizes you really to move much further into green. And I was like, okay, I'm going to play Force of Vigor as my nod to Blood Moon. The thing is, is that that also means that you're way, you, you have another Haymaker against the Urza Saga decks and you have another Haymaker against that you bring in against opposing Bean decks because you can't, it sucks to trade with Beans at, on a one-for-one -one basis because they recoup a card. But if you catch a Beans and a Leyline Binding or multiple Leyline Bindings, the game's fucking over. A quick time, a quick timeout, just for anybody watching this, not on like the day that it comes out. Uh, you know, maybe you're watching this a couple months from now. I have uh, the way Phil makes his decks on Moxfield is there is live he live updates uh, his deck. So definitely go down and follow follow Phil on on uh, Moxfield and check out the check out the deck as it is today. But also on Eternal Dirtles, I uh, took this deck and duplicated it. So it is as a moment in time, you can actually look at this particular deck as well. So if you're not seeing it on Phil, on Phil's, you're going to definitely be able to see it on the Eternal Dirtles account. So we, we got a better idea. That way you can get, follow along with us here. But Phil, one of the cards that I found fascinating that you were playing was Cosmic Rebirth. Yeah, Cosmic Rebirth, there's a couple of reasons for that. Uh, one of them is I think having incidental life gain somewhere in your deck is really powerful when it's recursive. Especially, so, yeah, recursive. Yeah, that's a big, that's a big thing. Mystic Sanctuary being able to pick up a, a Cosmic Rebirth, and it's also... It, it, cosmic Rebirth does, incidentally, a couple of things. Is it a, a lock to have to be in the deck? Not, not at all. But is it good? And I would say it's good if the incentive to be in green is strong enough, and the incentive is Beanstalk, right? The deck is a Beanstalk yeah. deck, so you're already in green, so it's, it's negligible. What I like about it is that it's instant speed. So uh, what it what it does is it, it on turn three you can hold up your mana for your removal, your counter magic, whatever it may be, and you can instant speed back a fetch, and now you're at Mystic Sanctuary. And that's and you've that's basically really ramped, game. right? Like that's what I mean. Yeah, it, it gets you a turn ahead. So it it essentially doing a, an Uro impression at instant speed in that spot is valuable in a you have an engine going off your beanstalk and you're more likely to hit your land drops and be able to deploy more spells to two spell uh, more aggressively anyway. And two, because the end game of your deck is Entreat the Angels and being able to get into Entreat range. Land. Yeah. And the critical target for Entreat is X equals three because that's a five mana spell for your beanstalk. Yeah. And so your, your, your Entreat not only makes three angels but cantrips. It and also means that you're pretty much guaranteed a two turn clock at that point, which is the which is the defining factor, right? Yeah, I find that like the 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 clock is usually less relevant because the they sort of fold to the engine before yeah, they fold to the course. clock. Uh, because you know before that would have been the case in you know miracles of old, where yeah. you are you're you're trying to convert your card advantage in a way where there isn't that much card advantage in the yeah. format. You know, and so you're, was you're the number you want to you like felt the least bad about doing as far as low low numbers were concerned. Like, ideally five, right? Like, ideally you're like, you have one turn to live. Uh, yeah. four, four felt okay, especially in a fe like a fetch land economy. But three was kind of where you wanted to be to be able to hold up mana and and know that, like, it doesn't change the amount of turns between four, between a four 
uh, and, and a three, and then a two is almost always going to be uh, be that extra turn. So, yes. For for anybody who has, like, an interest in, in control, at least this style of control, and I get we do a lot of episodes on Miracles, so, you know, sorry for the people who aren't interested. The 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 trajectory of the deck since Myst- Mystic Sanctuary is easily the most uh, impactful printing for Miracles since ba- Top's ban, like, without a doubt. It, yeah. Myst- Mystic Sanctuary is the card. Uh, and what the deck was initially when Mystic Sanctuary came out, we uh, I, at least I did. I leaned harder into Entreat the Angels in that you were you know just trying to essentially machine gun Entreat the Angels, yeah. right? Uh, we're we're Entreat Mystic Sanctuary for Entreat Mystic Sanctuary Entreat. It just goes over the top of everything else in the format. And the first one, you know, you exit for three or X for four. They trade all of the removal spells in game one for your one Entreat. You put it back on top and you bury them. Game two, that removal is usually ha- has come out at that point, and you know, uh, a single entreat that is uh, fought over and won gets there. And if it doesn't, you just recur it with Mystic Sanctuary anyway. Yeah. Then once uh, the format like sped up exponentially and uh, more people were on like Teferi Time Ravelers and stuff as like a mainstay in pretty much every deck. And then Miracling essentially was uh, a liability because they had a static effect that turned that off. You're still very weak to uh, Teferi Time Raveler. Like that hasn't changed at all. Yeah. But like the fact that you have an engine so you can more aggressively force it uh, means that you know you recoup the cards so you're not totally behind all the time. Not anyway, to mention like you're engine... more reliably at, at x uh, at x equals three for your uh, prismatic ending too. Yeah, we'll we'll, we'll, we'll yeah, exactly yeah. Prismatic ending be- becomes a, a a bigger player in that in that space. But like we'll we'll talk about how Beanstalk has changed the paradigm, you know, entirely uh, in a second. But like so, it, when Mystic Sanctuary first came out, it was Mystic Four and Treat Machine Gun it. Then once the format sped up. And Miracling was a liability. I moved back over to Jace the Mind Sculptor because then yeah. w- once you were back on and Jace and Jace is my like sole win condition yeah. uh, because once you move over and you're like okay, Mystic Sanctuary is the mo- is the uh, uh, terminus is the powerful thing to do, uh, and therefore we want Mystic Sanctuary and therefore we want Thwart and like that became the shell where Mystic Sanctuary became the 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 pinnacle piece that tied the room together. Uh, that's where like okay, if you can Jace Thwart, pick up three islands to protect it. And now you can brainstorm and now you have all this fodder for your brainstorm and the Jace. And now you can just protect the Jace because you have all this fodder to protect the Jace on the table and you're still playing your terminuses and your terminus keep the board clear. Your Jace ensures that like you're, you're constantly going to be up on uh, the perfect cards in hand to be able to deal with whatever the situation is. And then you can also close the, the door with your portents and your Jace's fate sealing them. That's where the deck had like shifted to after uh, it, Miracling became a liability uh, as an end game because it was too... Um, because Teferi and a bunch of other things, the format got too fast. Yeah. Then I tried a bunch of things. I moved back over to Counterbalance because I was like, the format is sped up. It's a little bit lower to the ground. People pick that Delver back up. Um, and, and, and it works with the Mystic Sanctuary, you know. But then after I wrote, yes. I mean, obviously Counterbalance and Mystic Sanctuary is a shell in itself. Uh, but it requires that your opponent has to have agreed when they sat down at the table that their CMC value is going to be similar to what your deck is built around. Exactly. Which means that you're extremely polarizing, right? Like in a world Spoiler of Delver, alert. <laughs> in a world of Delver, counterbalance is the fucking jam. And counterbalance still is like a one or two of in most Delver boards for the mirror and for combo, right? Like you are, you are likely to see counterbalance in some numbers still to this day uh, in those kinds of decks. If and you I was play them. you. <laughs> well, if you play against, if you play against Delver, yeah. you're going to see one or two of in a, in a, in a wide variety of, of shells. Oh, okay. I, you know, I, I mean, you know, not every pilot's going to have it. You know, counterbalance isn't the easiest card to play around, play with, but uh, you know, 
there's enough manipulation in that deck, especially when you're at, you're playing a mirror and you know that you're at the same similar CMC values. Where it's like if you can just have this lock piece on the table, then your it's, opponent has to like dance around it. It's actually doing kind of a a negative version of Beanstalk in a Delver deck, right? Like it's the it's the it's the same but different. The problem, so so counterbalance is really good when your opponent doesn't have an engine. So in the form in in the worlds where there were there were no engines, or the engine is easily uh, uh, shucked off by counterbalance being on the table looking at you expressive iteration that you know okay it's not as it's not as difficult to 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 stop your opponents so after that then 40k comes out yeah saint catherine changes the paradigm again so now we have mystic sanctuary changed miracles triumph of saint catherine changes the miracles because triumph came out when expressive iteration was still in the format and blue red delver was everywhere blue red delver was the deck right and I had I was the four X Triumph of Saint Catherine gamer. I made I think my my best parody based on that card. And if you had told me that I could go into any event when Blue Red Delver with expressive iteration was top dog and just play against it fifteen rounds in a row with my four S four X Triumph of Saint Catherine uh, in the main, I would have slammed it immediately. I would have said yes, please give me that matchup because it was Triumph was such a haymaker that it just blew that matchup out. It didn't matter how many cards you drew. You weren't dealing with this fucking Baneslayer Angel. Uh, but then Lord of the Rings comes out. Yeah. All these, all these black cards move, move uh, Delver and all these other decks into Grief and, uh, and uh, Bowmasters and, and Troll of Khazad-Doom. And that's even before we get to the space where Snuff Out was being played as a way to deal with opposing Murktides. So now that expressive iteration is banned and players are, you know, free, have these free slots to expand other, expand their, uh, their suites. Those suites end up being really good against triumph and triumph is no longer the 10, the 10 value haymaker that it was. And so I moved to triumph to the board for a really long time. And then I was like, okay, miracles is dead. There's just nothing to keep up with this stuff. Like I, I need a new printing. I need something that can keep up with these cards. And now we have beanstalk and you know, Beanstalk, it's not the hero I wanted, but it seems to be the hero, <laughs> the, the hero we got. You know, I wanted, you know, maybe another brainstorm type effect that did something or, you know, another another kind of miracle that helped us out. But it is Beanstalk is the space. Beanstalk, so, Beanstalk's over the corner like, I am vengeance. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's 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 it, it is interesting. Like, I, I feel in, like invigorated that there is space for the kind of miracles that I like to play to exist again. Yeah. But I really hate that it's on the backbone of this card that is, it's just like, I, it doesn't excite me Yeah. because it's, it's just every game becomes about it. Well, take your way, wins and you hush. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I, I get, I get there's, there's back and forth, but it's, it, here's the thing, man. Like, I, I think like if, if I'm representative of, of any of the, Anybody else who has has been sort of soured on on legacy, and I, I still don't think the format's in a healthy place. I don't know if it's ever going to go back to a, a healthy place in in my view of what it 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 uh, of a time where it wasn't just these commander product snowballs or these power creep snowballs. You know, like I I have always enjoyed positional gameplay, and I find that that is much less so when these engines are so yeah. effective and so cheap, and the games that just become about those engines are way less interesting, but I think there's also something to be said. It's like, okay, well, if the interest shifts from being like, okay, if we just have to accept that by default and, you know, learn to grow into, okay, then how do we then 
manipulate around these engines if this is the gameplay. I, I'm I'm still you know trying to find the, the the avenue around that, but I can say that like the stuff that what be, did become interesting was stuff like Force of Vigor, you know, using that as a way to like check the four color matchup because the leyline binding in my mind for them is a liability. You know, looking looking at the the space where the sideboard cards can cross over across the format. Oh, we were talking about Cosmic Rebirth. So that was the trajectory of Miracles. We'll talk about Beanstalk in a second. So Cosmic Rebirth in particular, I have it because it's uh, main deck incidental life game. Uh, if you play a Beanstalk, it was it is correct for your opponent to fight over it. If I cast the Beanstalk on two, or if your opponent casts a Beanstalk on two, if you don't have an immediate follow-up removal spell to go down a card, knowing that maybe you can recoup the card with your own engine in a, in a later turn, yeah. if you don't have it immediately, then you are correct to fight over it. Yeah. And if you are correct to fight over it, then I want more copies of it. Yeah, so and that's where the Cosmic Rebirth comes into play. Cosmic Rebirth can pick that up. The other side of it is I was playing two main deck uh, Dress Down, and Dress Down going away, Dress Down uh, the other pillar in the format, in my view, Urza Saga. I think that like you have to have some amount of of you have to respect Urza Saga like as a as a baseline. Yeah. Like you you can't you can't be blind to Urza Saga. I think that like Terminus is not necessarily uh, reliable as a way to solve a turn uh, play against a turn one saga. Like if if you and I are playing against each other, right? You're the A cast guy, and you go you go Saga on one, right? It is unreliable that I'm going to have a Terminus in time before I get chunked for nine. Yeah, you're gonna get you're gonna get hit a couple times, uh, probably, and possibly and then, lose the game if you if you can't set it up quick enough. If I can't set it up quick enough, and then even if I do, if you just force it, and I don't have a a, a way to to fight back, I just die right there, right yeah. from your from your turn one play that cost you uh, that was uncounterable. So yeah. it's like you can't you you have to respect Urza yeah, Saga you've seen if you're playing a little bit more a little bit more ways to stop to stop that from becoming a thing that you lose to. Yeah. So I, I was playing two dress downs. Dress down obviously goes away by itself. So cosmic rebirth represents with Mystic Sanctuary and Thwart an infinite number of dress downs. Yeah. So so there's value in that. Uh, then also post board, uh, I have the counterbalance package because as we had mentioned before, counterbalance is a ten two card similar to where Triumph is. Triumph was also in my board, and uh, it you have a, a certain number of threes. I was playing two force of negation. Uh, if you so this is. The, the the reason why I really love counterbalance and, and building around it is figuring out mana value spreads in the matchups that you wanted against as a metagame shifts. Yeah. And so if you look at my main deck, I'm not on a lot of twos. I'm on seven main deck twos, right? I'm on four Beanstalk, two Dress Down, one Life from the Loam. And the Life from the Loam is just a nod because my mana base is fucking trash. So, uh, <laughs> but post-board, if you move, if you know that you're going to bring in your counterbalances and then any number of the twos that are in the board given the matchup, like... If I'm bringing in, uh, if I'm uh, bringing counterbalance in against combo, then I'm gonna also want like the null rod. I'm gonna want, you know, maybe the Sabo's web, depending if they're, like they're they have like some kind of Caracas loop or something like that. So depending on the other twos you bring in, and now you're way more dense at two post board with your counterbalances because your counterbalances represent two themselves. Yeah. So like there's space in that. The other side is that with uh, if you have, let's say you go turn two counterbalance, untap, holding up cosmic rebirth. Uh, Cosmic Rebirth represents a Mystic Sanctuary if, with a fetch in your yard. Yeah, and what that means is that not only does it represent a Mystic Sanctuary uh, on on three mana for any card in your graveyard, it also de facto represents a three because the Cosmic Rebirth will have resolved been in your yard. You can fetch Mystic Sanctuary, put it back on top, counter three drop. So that is three mana for three mana. It's a three mana trade, but you do go up the land in the exchange. So now you're already on Mystic Sanctuary, in which case you should be in position 
with that uh, Cosmic Rebirth coming off the top, representing that same fetch that you just had, representing another Mystic Sanctuary, in which case the loop continues. And six and life. So, <laughs> and six life. Yeah. So, so there, there, there's something to be said there. There's, there's enough incidental stuff with Cosmic Rebirth that it's doing that the, the like, if they give me better incidental life gain on an instant or sorcery in the future that does something more than what Cosmic Rebirth does, you know, I'm not married to Cosmic Rebirth. It's just filling a very, very, very specific yeah, thing. It's got a niche. Is, I, I want somewhere in my 75 that's not Triumph of St. Catherine to have incidental life gain. You know, Triumph of St. Catherine's a plan. Like yeah. when, they, when you board that in, you're like, this is the thing that's, you know, they should have a problem dealing with I'm this. I'm on this, yeah. And if they, if they don't have a problem dealing with Triumph, I don't board it in. What, what, decks, creature what decks right now have a, have a problem with Triumph, though? Delver. Delver. Just, yeah, Grixis. just like, well, Grixis, do you think Grixis is the deck? I can Grixis see Delver. I can see Teamer Delver really having a problem with it because I can't. Yes. At, at, back in the day, I could not remove a 5-5 five, five from the board. That was a problem. The, uh, but Grixis is, I guess, not playing as many snuff-out situations or, uh, you know, they've got, they've got uh, you know, uh, Fatal push, but that's obviously not going to do it. It, it doesn't work. Yeah. So snuff out has fallen out of favor, but I'll say the the the, the reason for uh, Triumph coming in and being very good against Delver is a couple of reasons. A, Delver ducks care about your life total. Yeah. As a baseline, they care about life total. B, they're not a source to five shares deck. Exactly. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I'm not. I'm, that's I'm the not big boarding. Thing. I'm not boarding Triumph in against any source to five share deck. I guess. If yeah. Snuff if, it out. I'll just get it back. Right. Yeah. If you're initiative, if you're DNT, if you're four color, uh, I'm not boarding Triumph in against you, yeah. unless unless you show absolutely no respect at all and have boarded out all your removal. I'm not boarding it in. Yeah, uh, but I do want it against a couple of things. So I want it against uh, Delver variants or anything that cares about life total. And then the other thing that I wanted it against is uh, decks where you're going to be on a lower resource game. So same thing. If Delver's going to wasteland you, I don't want to be on on entreat that needs uh, a developed base. I can miracle for two. But the other thing I, that I want it for is fast combo. I'm happy to board out my uh, entreat the angels for my triumph because now I have a five five life linker that's good against uh, that is going to make build up your storm count. Yeah, like you're going to need a higher storm count, and it's reliable to like get in a clock on two as opposed to having to wait to develop and then hit an entreat because. Yes, you can one shot and treat, but if you have to tap out to do it, it's you know not necessarily safe. Yeah, I uh, suppose. I suppose like your turn one play brainstorm or ponder port and whatever. Turn two, uh, I, I, well, I guess it's turn three would be would be triumph, uh, and then just be like, okay, well, you're on storm. I'm gonna have interaction, and I'll play this you know this two drop that just basically adds two to storm every turn. Yeah, it essentially says like when you're when you're thinking about like you know what your threats are, and I imagine that it's it's similar for you know when you're navigating how to board with Acast. When you're thinking like what are the actual potent threats, like how does the matchup actually line up? If you're playing you know a, a, a four color ish control deck versus combo, you know what cards are gonna like. Yeah. You can't tap out for something that's not uh, either at instant speed or doing something that like relevantly disrupts them yeah. in some meaningful way. You know, like if you play. Uh, if you tapped out for Minsk in your four color deck against combo, that was probably bad because they'll be like, great. I take four, I untap and kill you. Yeah. Where it's like, if you play the ring, it's like, okay, I have protection. They can't kill me unless they have some kind of obscure cardboard sideboard card that I can't play around. And I will at least get to untap having the ancestral. And now I can hold up my resources and I'm just going to bury them under cards. Right? Like that's where the paradigm shifts. And that's why, 
like Minsk has fallen off the face of the earth in place of one ring because one ring can actually like save yourself when you're tapped out. And the impetus to be able to fight over opposing planeswalkers is been nullified to an extent because you have ley line bindings. So from from that perspective, they have like shifted their 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 game a little bit in order to like hedge that sort of thing. And that's what I mean. You have to be in the arms race. Anyway, not to lose the thread here. Yeah. Uh, so for if you're thinking like, what is the how does this matchup actually play out? It's like I'm never gonna if if I develop to the point where I have an entry against the combo deck, I've won that game. Yeah. You know? So I'd rather just like have the cheaper effect that can kill them because killing them is very rarely when you're playing control against combo, do you win because you killed the combo deck? You won because you stopped the combo deck. Yeah. Right? That's how it's usually how it goes. And that's why it's like, you know, on on your end, it, it's like Delver matchups. Delver players will board out their Merktides against combo. Yeah. Merktide's too I slow. Would. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah, it's for too sure. slow. You, you're like, I'm going to play a one drop. You're not going to remove it. And then we just fight over the thing until this thing gets you dead. Right? Like, that's that, that's how you... And it's, just, it's the same thing, right? Like, you just have to know, know how to line up choices. So... Uh, you know, long-winded way to get around Cosmic Rebirth and now Triumph of St. Catherine to the board, counterbalance the board. Uh, the other card that I think is uh, people are sleeping on is the way that the the format has shifted in its entirety because of these new snowballs, right? So in the way where Beanstalk changes the paradigm, the games become about who has the engine and then the other the other side of that coin is who has more force effects to fight over that engine. Yeah. Right? Yeah, I agree. Gone are gone are the days of being able to hold up mana for counter magic. You don't have time. There is no time for spell pierce. There is no time for any any counter magic that costs mana. There is no time. You do not have the luxury of time. It's the format's way too fast. So you have to play so like you will see more and more lists as they come out in challenges and whatnot. Four Force of Will main deck, some amount of Force of Negation main deck, and then probably the third or fourth Force of Negation in the board. Across every deck that can play Force of Wills. Whether it's four-color Yorion, whether it's A-Cast, you're just going to see a whole shitload of Forces. It's not just it's for like, Yorion piles anymore. Six, six, six plus uh, Force effects. Six plus Force effects. And it's because you need to have it, like, Besiege also has changed the, the metric, yeah. where... The like fast combo decks can also go off on way lower resources now, and a lot of those combo decks also have Urza Saga. So if you are compelled to use your mana to not die to nine nines yeah. that are uncounterable, then you can't spend your mana shot and porting yourself, hoping that they walk into a Pierce. Yeah. Right? It just, that's, that that world is long gone. You can throw those cards away. They're not coming back unless something, you know, somehow wildly changes the <laughs> paradigm. And again, and Saga gets banned and Beanstalk goes and all this stuff shifts again. Yeah. Like you, you get, get rid of that stuff. Uh, and with it, with all that stuff means goes a lot of the cards that would usually be good with that stuff. So like if you're playing Fluster, I mean, I was a high, I was high on Fluster Snapcaster for a, for a while. I was like, this is sweet against expressive iteration nothing feels better than when they go expressive iteration because they want to hit their land drop that they didn't play their land drop yet and then you fluster and they're like oh well this feels awkward play my land afterwards and you're like yeah gotcha idiot and then you're like all right uh next turn play another expressive and you're like yes not fluster that you idiot like you're dumb and then if they're like all right mystic sanctuary this thing back and it's like sweet dude predict that off the top like you're a clown like this this this, this, these things feel good right yeah but gone gone are those days zach they are yeah so, but but like also, it's like if you want to play Fluster, that's all well and good. But 
Besiege has made people move into stuff that you can't fluster. Yeah. Like you have to be able to fight over Carpet of Flowers and Carpet of Flowers is going to be everywhere in the Besiege decks. And if they play a Carpet of Flowers and you're looking at that, that fluster storm in your hand and then they're like, all right. Well, uh, 15 mana. Car- <laughs> carpet, make a bunch of mana, Besiege my Carpet that, you know, for free off of the, of, of the Carpet mana. And you're like, all right, well, I guess I could fluster and they can just pay for all the copies because I couldn't fight over yeah. the Carpet of Flowers. And now we're just, you're, you're on the wrong axis. You're yeah. on the wrong axis. And then your opponents in your four color mirrors, you're, you're going to bring fluster in. Like, you think Pyroblast is good in this format? No, get your Pyroblast out of your sideboard. Those things suck now, right? Like the, the the stuff is way too wide. Pyroblast, you can't bring it against any reasonable combo deck. I mean, if it's like if you do, they're prepared to fight over it because they have a bunch of silence effects in their shit. Like Veil is going to blow you out, and you get that get that stuff out of here. You can't you can't be doing that anymore. The reason that Veil of Summer still gets uh, played is because you can proactively use it as a silence. Yeah. You know, or you can catch your opponent, like you can protect your opponent from being able to tendrils kill you. Like it has, it has, and it cantrips, fucking cantrips. Like <laughs> it, it has, it has not only this utility against everything else in the format, but it also cantrips and you can use it proactively. It's so like it a make, one to, mana abeyance. Like, <laughs> yes, like that, that, that is maybe the one, the one that gets the nod in, in your not combo deck because it has all of these other utilities yeah. of like, okay, my, you know, if, if you're playing it and your opponent has a chalice on whatever and you it's not one, you can, like, play your stuff through your through the chalice. Like, it has so much more utility beyond just a counterspell. Your pierce does not anymore. Your spell snares or whatever, get it out. So, but that being said, free counter magic is a premium. And I think people are sleeping on Mind Break Trap. And there's two reasons for that. Okay. Two reasons for Tell Mind me. Break Trap, yeah. I think, being in in decks beyond just the decks that don't have counter magic. One is you incidentally need to have a higher volume of ways to deal with storm. Sure. They got a they got a tool that brought their Hard resources way down. Yeah. Right? They, like if they if they have a tool that means they can go off on lower resources, then you need to have more tools that can stop it at lower resources. The like the if the if we're gonna keep getting these more and more powerful tools, if we're gonna keep inching closer and closer to vintage power level, then you have to like start fighting on the same axes and you can't be relying on thinking you're gonna get some amount of development in. You're not. The second thing is is uh mind break trap in the control mirrors that go really long, guess what? If the for, if the world becomes about who has more engines and then who has more force of wills to stop those engines, then you know what's really powerful? Just more counter magic. More of it. Yeah. You just need more. And it's really powerful in uh when your opponent could go like fourth plus Mystic Sanctuary and fourth again to exile. And then if you ever get into a counter war deep into the game and then blow somebody out, feels great. Yeah. The other the other thing to be said about Mindberg Trap in this instance, what we were talking about before of how the format has split four color in the in the arms race against itself versus uh, how much it's willing to concede to fast combo in Ursa Saga decks, right? Like that's the, that is the in my view that is the definitive split of the format right now. You're like you're either bowmastering somewhere in the in the middle of the space, in which case you're doing like uh, you're you're doing a bunch of incidental value things. Yeah. Hello, DNT players and whatnot, right? Sure. You're doing the you're doing you're doing the Delver space where you're on like. Uh, Bowmasters and then your Days Wasteland shell as per usual. And also, I want to point out that when we were talking about Infect with Friendless Cloud and we're like, yeah, Legolas's uh, uh, Quick Reflexes is going to like overhaul Infect and that's going to be sweet. And I would argue that Infect, as we've talked about before, indistinguishable from a combo, right? Yes, it's an aggro deck. 100%. Of course, of course, of course. (laughs) Yes, of course, Zach says, of course. (laughs) You know what else is? Fucking Delver. 
Delver, in my view, is indistinguishable from Combo, similar to Infect now, nowadays, okay. because for, and this is why I'll, I'll, I'll argue the point. Please elaborate. The same way that uh, your like Infect goes Delver days, or not Delver days, uh, cheap threat days in order to kill, right? And then plays some amount of destruction in Force of Will and Days. So mm-hmm. does Delver. But because it has Merktide, Merktide is a one-turn clock. So you can play a disruption game, cast a Merktide, and kill in a shot. And that makes it, in my view, indistinguishable from combo in terms of how you can navigate a game. Now, granted, they, their combo is disrupted by removal spells, and that might yes. make it feel different. Yeah. But in terms of actually how the games play out and what matters, it's indistinguishable. Now, if, if, if we're in those spaces, you have Orcus Bowmaster ho- hovering somewhere in the middle. And Orcus Bowmaster is, also means that it's paired with Wasteland. So you're some kind of Orcus Bowmaster disruptive shell. Or you're in like the more combo-centric area of like, okay, we're on some form of Beseech deck, whether that's Storm Combo, Mono Black Helm, whatever it is. It effectively means I'm on either Veil of Summer or Discard Spells plus Beseech to kill you. Great. Sure. Choose, wh- choose whatever you want on the back end of the Beseech to kill, whether it's Gaia's Will or uh, a Helm. Cool. Whatever that, you know. Are you a more mid-rangey uh, Dark Ritual player or are you a more stack-based ritual pl- Dark sure. Ritual player? You're a Dark Ritual player. So the... Those are hovering so, somewhere in, in, in the, the spectrum here. But then otherwise, you have like the fast side, which is actually the dark ritual fast combo. And then you have the hard, like deep side of four color control. If that's what matters, then it means that it's engine based and force of wills are the things that matter. And that means that if we're in the space where more force of will and free effects matter, then mind break trap stock goes way up. Yeah, there's the there's the bridge. There's the bridge. There's the bridge. <laughs> there's there there's the bridge when you need some, and then like incidentally, it having you know a uh, uh, pl- crossover against like other combo shells or you know other things where like having an exile effect is really important. Like in the snowball games where the games go long because you're just fighting over engines and both players have a bajillion cards. Yeah, it's gonna be, feel really good when the you know if we both board in all of our forces because we have to because we have to fight over yeah. all these engines. Then it's like okay, if I have you know six to eight force of will effects and then i also have uh, a mind break trap or two and then i also have force of vigor and i can keep tapping out for all of my engines and i can fu- i have more forces than you i have won the arms race right sure. and that's when you pair it all down that's the arms race it just so happens that mind break mind break trap gets to bridge the gap between both of the like wide uh fast combo versus the the control uh, cell decks yeah the four color arms races so th- those are the reasons for my current choices there's still stuff up in the air but like um it's i i think that like all of the the shells that i look at right now it's like either they they feel unfocused or they feel as though they don't have a a quite as firm of a grasp in their card choices of what at least i think the format is right now you know and it's it's like bowmaster wasteland urza saga dark ritual and then the arms race of, of four color plus control yeah well, I mean, I think that I think that kind of does it for for the points we wanted to make. I think the real uh, proof in the pudding uh, moment will be how you how you pull off next week. You know, now that people have yeah. seen this, uh, will you be able to uh, just continue snowballing them? Yeah, I think that like the it is to like. I mean, no one's surprised, it, right? It, no it, one sits it, down against you and is like, "Oh, you're playing miracles." I had no idea. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I would say that the, the TLDR of this episode isn't necessarily like the, you know, metagame breakdown or what I think of the metagame. Like, I'm just one dude. I, you know, it's my perspective through a very specific lens, like, you know, grain of salt, everything I say. Uh, but
but I think that the the one thing to think about is if you are on a deck uh, in particular, uh, know know what pillar you fall into, and then know how that pillar is supposed to line up against everything else to inform your sideboard choices. So, like, if you're like, okay, I'm a painter deck, and therefore I want these tools against these things, or I'm an eight cast deck, and therefore I want these tools against these things. You know, I I found thinking back to when Fenris was on the cast, and I remember he was talking about his old sideboard that was 15 one-ofs. And we loved the idea of 15 one-ofs. And I don't think that we are in a world where 15 one-ofs is ever going to make sense anymore because the format is so fast. Like, in terms, like, and when I say fast, I mean, like, literally Dark Ritual Beseech kills you. Or an engine buries you, and so you are effectively dead before you get your feet under you. Well, Phil, I think Those also things... it's 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 not just that it's fast; it's also homogenized. Yes, I, I'm saying that like the, I, I think gone are that's the... why like no no fifteen one ofs like that you have to you you have specific decks you have to answer when when we were rocking fifteen one ofs it was because the meta game was kind of wide open. Yes, I so the, that that's where it's like. I think that in in the last year, with the printing of Lord of the Rings and uh, uh, the addition, like and how it pairs with Modern Horizons, that the for the legacy has taken a significant shift towards what uh, I would imagine players that who play vintage view the format through, which is when you're looking at the format, there are very clearly distinct pillars. Yeah, there are like three or just, four decks that are far away and a better than everything else, right? Like you need to be prepared for shops. You need to be prepared for bazaar. You probably need to be prepared for some amount of PO fast stack combo, maybe tinker. Yeah. And then, and then you have uh, like big blue or blue, like, you know, blue, blue. And then, and then you have Xerox. some amount of blue control. Right. Yeah. And then, and then maybe you could argue at this point that like uh, initiative is somewhere in that space as sure. well, but like, sure. But like what that means though, is in your board, you're like, okay, I have, I'm six to eight graveyard effects for bazaar. I'm, you know, X number of hate pieces for, um, Mish's workshop and like it's 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 that that's it and hopefully right? like, some of that stuff overlaps right like that's and hopefully yeah. some of it overlaps but like, that's it right like so you look at sideboards and you're like yep uh four of this three of this three of this that that's your whole sideboard yeah and i think we're in a space that's way closer to that than we are to being like is this gonna line up well does this work it's like you need broad strokes and your broad strokes have to, to cross over and knowing what those pillars are in the broad strokes and it's like okay well there's there's a certain amount of crossover these days right yeah. beseech means that your your beseech incentivizes artifacts and enchantments beanstalk that uh, that is the backbone of all these control decks is an enchantment urza saga is an enchantment all of these decks are somehow based around artifacts and enchantments and and really powerful fast effects on the stack and you need to be able to like stop that either on the stack via more force effects or you need to have big blowout effects like force of vigor to, to stop the the stuff that gets their engines going. Yeah. And I think have like just representing more of that as like your, your hammers out of the board is really where the format's going to have to shift. So like, as people look at like their own stuff, like recognize the pillar that you're in, because if you can just clearly identify the pillar that you're in, if everybody is on that level, then knowing how to either play around that pillar or go over the top of those things that they're going to board in against the pillar that you're in. That's really, that's where I think you can, you can get some edge beyond just like, Let's turn our top eleven cards over. Yeah, you know. All right. Well, yeah. uh, that that does it for uh, for this week. Uh, we'll be on next week to see how Phil does. Um, to to that end, 
about being invigorated, we also have the Fenris Cloud uh, Infect uh, deck tech coming up really soon. Uh, I'm working on that today, so hopefully that'll be up uh, within within the week. Uh, and we've got a couple of other really great deck techs coming up as well. Uh, Stress, Stress Daddy's uh, putting one together for us. Dukes is putting one together for us. Um, we have, uh, a few, I think, a three or four other ones in the works as well. So I, I'm, I'm very excited about these deck techs. Uh, and uh, we've got a bunch of like cool shorts coming up. And uh, uh, that big, long, if you've been answering our questions on, uh, on the community part of the YouTube page uh, about the most powerful cards each year, that is going to eventually become a like long 30 minute, like super highly edited uh, film that we're doing sort of on the like Ristic study style. So uh, yeah, stick around for that stuff and uh, you know, like subscribe, share, uh, comment, all that stuff. Uh, anyhow, uh, thanks everybody for showing up and uh, we'll check in next week. Thanks for watching. If you have the means to support the channel, please check us out on Patreon and check out this next video. It's pretty great.